This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. All right, 20-sided gamified podcast fans, good morning. This is podcast, well, I shouldn't say podcast, I should say this is friend cast number two. Um, I have two familiar uh, faces with uh, me this morning. We got um, our dear friend Kelly and our dear friend Steve um, from the uh, New Jersey crew. Um, you're going to have to bear with us this morning. It's it's Sunday when we're recording this. It's early. You know, we don't normally record this early. So because, um, you know, we, you know, I have another guest coming on a little bit, uh, but we really wanted to get this in because apparently this was a topic, which I'm going to announce in a second, that um, we had been thinking about doing for a little while. But it's even more pressing given uh, apparently the last game that was played in New Jersey by uh, Steve Kelly and crew. So it'll be a nice little little way to get get this whole uh, uh, ball rolling, so to speak. Um, but before I announce the question, um, just as always, you know, thanks for listening. Um, it was really cool. Apparently, uh, we had our thousandth download um, yesterday, which is really cool. I never thought that this many people would care this much about you know, games, but it's very fun. Um, you know, and uh, it, you know, I don't know. It just makes me feel good that, you know, these podcasts will be out there forever as long as, you know, earthquakes don't destroy the planet. Um so if you're ever interested in game talk, you'll always be able to uh, pop on and, and hopefully get a little bit out of some of the conversations that we have on the podcast. Um, as always, um, and I know I plugged him last time, I just want to plug Matt Rendar from Battle Tribe again. Um, again, look him up on Instagram. He's the uh, the fine gentleman who uh, set up the 20-sided gamified logo, which is super cool. And I guess on that note... Um, I think it's time to roll, actually. Um, so we've got Steve and Kelly here. What's up, guys? Hello there. Good morning. <laughs> that's a that's a slow good morning. <laughs> just so you guys know, that had nothing to do with Zoom. That was just the, it's okay. It's all right. Um, well, guys, uh, as as always, as the moderator here, I'm the uh, person that brings order to chaos. Um, I'll be listening in in this in this conversation, and you know, I'm gonna throw my two cents in here and there. The question of the day is the following. Okay. And I know that I can see Kelly McManus's face because this is, this is going to be near and dear to his heart based on this uh, game that they played the other day. All right. So here it is. I know I'm really just building the tension here. Um, when is a command and control system in a war game too much or too little? All right. So command and control, I'm actually going to leave it up to the guys to maybe even define that. So I'll just repeat the question one more time. So it's there's the teacher on me. When is a command and control system in a war game too much or too little? Right. Yeah. So Steve or uh, Kelly, I don't know who wants to take this. It looks like you want to take this, Steve. Command and control. Well, I think there's one way to look at it. Um like if you want to start thinking about command and control in, in war games, you kind of have to start by thinking of kind of like the two categories of war games that exist, right? We we have what we all know as beer and pretzels, right? So these are games where 
you're just throwing your toy soldiers on the table and you're rolling dice and you're having a good time and you're not really paying too much attention to how accurate or historically reflective the game is. Then you have the other side of that, which are kind of like simulations almost, right? Where you're trying to put yourself in the position of a commander from a, a given period or in a fantasy setting or, or whatever it might be and trying to actually uh, simulate that to some degree. And I know at the Naval War College up in Rhode Island, I did one semester of grad school at Providence College when I was done up there. That's where I did my undergrad. I ended up coming back down to New Jersey. I didn't finish it up there. <clears throat> Excuse me. But my professor for uh, my military history course was also a professor at the Naval War College, and they did war games there, miniature war games. But the kind of war games that they did were simulation type war games, right? So I was guess, it Nick Murray though? Was it was it Nick Murray? No, the guy's name was uh, Michael Pavkovich. Michael Pavkovich. Okay, I gotcha. I don't know if he's up there anymore. I mean, we're talking about over a decade ago now. Okay. At this point. Um, but I think you kind of have to start there, right? Like if if your thing is beer and pretzel wargaming, it's not really going to matter. I don't think command and control is really something that um, matters too much. But if you're doing simulation, it, it's vital, right? right? Because we know that warfare and tactics are fundamentally built around the command structure of an army. So right. I think you kind of have to like start there. Right. Yeah. It's a, and I think that's really, especially for our viewers that, cause again, there's so many different folks out there. We got teachers listening. We got people who play board games listening. So if, if you've never war game before, I mean, I, you know, maybe you might want to re rewind this pod and listen to that response again. Cause that in a nutshell is what command and control is like, how does an army function and how do you, you know, replicate some of the roadblocks that, you know, might impact a commander on the battlefield. Now, Kelly, are you ready? Because I know that th this is this is a question that apparently it struck a little bit of a nerve as I watch you smile on Zoom. So tell what happened to you? What happened to you playing oh, Caesar the other day? Who says it happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, what yeah, we, we, we had our little club game. What was it last week or the other week? Um, and we're playing Hail Caesar. And if if you're familiar with, um, you know, Warlords historic game products, um, I, I I don't know if it's like a simple system. I don't. Is it fair to call it simple? It's like you you say what you want to do, you roll it and see if it happens. Yeah, it's pretty um, simple. It's pretty straight. I'll say it's straightforward, right? Like it, you can't get it wrong. And we're playing the game of Hail Caesar. Um, and you know, let's say one of our, our players, all right, we're not going to name names. Might've been me. Uh, <laughs> this kept failing, like just having a bad dice roll night, um, to the point where like you'll, you'll, as a player, um, give out an order, you'll roll for it. It'll be your first order of the game, um, or, of your, or of your turn and you fail that order and then that's it. Right. So you can't really do anything. Then initiative passes on to the next team. Um, so in terms of that night, <laughs> one of our players might've been me, um, was just failing every single role, uh, based off of how, you know, the, the game kind of runs. Um, so effectively, like I couldn't really do much, uh, or this player couldn't really do much, um, <laughs> much, uh, for most of the game, um, which, you know, as 
people who like to play games and, and throw dice um, that could really, you know, impact, uh, you know, enjoyability and, and not really enjoyability, but your, your uh, immersion and your interactivity with that game in itself. Uh, when, yeah, but Kelly, I think that word enjoyable that you used, I don't know. I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think you're being very polite. I mean... Again, it kind of always comes back to that same question of why do we play games? It was like one of the one of the one of the things that we talked a little bit about the first time. You know, you know, we chatted on episode number one. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that world. And by the way, um, because again, I I've played Hail Caesar, I've played Black Powder, but I guess I'll throw this question to you. I mean, was whomever this person was that was having this horrific uh day of, of of dice rolling i mean was it actually really bad dice rolling or is it just is it just a system that this is going to happen probably more often than we want it to happen i guess if that makes sense like was this almost like an aberration or does this happen in a lot of your games when you're playing either of those systems the last so the kind of prelude to us playing Hail Caesars, uh me, Steven, and another one of our friends met at Steven's house and we like did a quick little demo game. Um and everything worked really well, but I think we had upped the command score. And that's in terms of the command system within Hail Caesar, what you set your commander rating at is the rating that you have to beat with two D six. Um, right. really dictates the success and how fluid the game system works. And I understand why they have it in there is to kind of create that friction of historic commanders, um, if the commander is good or not. Um, but we played at like the recommended eight and 2d6, you do the math, you're looking at like a 30 to 40% fail rate every time you throw. So, um, I mean, I don't know the exact math. I'm, I'm a history guy, not a math guy. <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> um, but, you know, looking at that and then when you factor in the math and how many orders you have to give, depending on your formation, like you, you're going to fail at some point. So I think it, it's a mix of both bad luck and kind of this this high fail rate that you have to contend with. I, I think I have to I do have to agree with Kelly um, on this idea that the failure rate with assigning your commanders an eight is a little too frequent. And I do understand that historically commanders often um, miscommunicated orders, orders were misinterpreted. Um, there were other battlefield factors like terrain and such that would affect a, a commander's ability to order their army where they wanted it to go. But it's a little too frequent for a game. And and I agree with what you had said before, Jared. I think it's perfectly appropriate to use the word enjoyment because ultimately we are there to have fun and, and to to play a game. And that kind of works its its way into what we discussed the last time about kind of making fun and making a game out of warfare. But if if any of you are interested in that, go back and listen to uh, the last conversation that we had, I think we're they, we are there for enjoyment. And I think that's a perfectly um, justifiable thing to say. Um, it kind of goes into, again, what your motivations are and why you're there. And I had said in our last podcast, I don't really care too much about the rule mechanics. I'm, they're more just to to play with toy soldiers, quite literally. Right. <laughs> um, but it is important, and and a, a command system needs to function 
if a game is going to be smooth. Right. And and that's really where the enjoyment comes from. Not only the spectacle of seeing the battle on the table and whatnot, but having a smooth game. So I do agree with Kelly. Um, but I think that there are also elements built into the warlord system, we'll call it, whether it's Black Powder, whether it's Hail Caesar, whether it's um, Pike and Shot, that allow you to mitigate that a little bit. So right. for those of you who are unfamiliar with these games, you have to roll under your command rating on 2d6. So Kelly kind of did the math. If you're rolling two dice and you're trying to get match or get under an eight, there, there's a good chance of, of a failure there, whether it's 40%, whether it's for, um, 35%. So you can kind of mitigate that by making your commanders a 9 or a 10. Uh, there are also certain troops in Hail Caesar, like Roman legionaries, for example, that do still get a free move, um, even if you fail in order, because these are drilled troops, they're experienced, they're well-trained. Um, and we were forgetting to do that. I mean... There's never a perfect war game, right? There's never a war game where we lit, we get every single thing correctly. It just never happens. Who defend both of you, right? Having played Black Powder and Hail Caesar before, like when it comes to forgetting rules, though, is that um, I do think, you know, if you look at the folks that kind of made Warlord games and the folks that write a lot of those rules, right? A lot of them come from that sort of GW world and it's a lot of special rules. So it's like, you know, and again, I'm not necessarily knocking that idea because one of the cool things about Black Powder and Hail Caesar is let's say you are the inventive type, right? Like you really want to try to, you know, use the game as a toolbox to make your armies function the way that you believe they function. The cool thing about both of those games are the special rules. Problem, though, is when you have a lot of them, it can be really hard to remember all of them, even if you write them down. And who wants to have like a binder of paperwork? I guess actually there are some people out there that love it. You know, like I, I watch the Warhammer and again, they're, they're the uh, the whipping boys, so to speak, of this podcast. But like, you know, you watch the Warhammer players, you know, they got their binders. They've got 18,000 books. Hence why 10th edition is so, I guess, streamlined because it can be really, really, really hard to remember all that stuff, you know? So, well, here's a question for you guys then, because again, you know, if you think about the prompt, right, my teacher voice for today is, you know, when is a command and control system in a war game too much or too little? All right, let's talk about Kings of War. Now, I know before this pod, you guys are familiar with the game, but maybe didn't have never played it. Is that correct? I just want to double check. Yeah, I've never played it. I, okay. I, I, the store I used to play at a lot of people, um, started playing that game after warhammer fantasy died yep they they saw it as uh, a substitute for that um, yeah I never played it myself so here's the here's the funny thing about that game is years and years and years ago i actually learned about that system from a student actually believe it or not like i think if my memory serves me right I think he was in sixth or seventh grade. He was, you know, a member of the game club. And he was like, oh, Mr. F, you know, like, have you heard of this new game? It's written by all these old GW people. So I guess it's almost like, it, not in a, a bad or a good way, but like it's it's almost like um, the, almost the antithesis of what Warhammer Fantasy Battle was, you know, back in the day where, again, like a lot of moving parts, a lot of special rules and things like that. Um, you know, with Kings of War, um, there's really not an activation system. You just sort of move, you you shoot, you fight. It's it's unbelievably simple. Um, but I guess the question, though, the, is the following. I mean, is that too little? You know, like, I've, I'll, and again, I'll pose the question to you guys. 
would you rather play a game where you just move everything whenever you want, pivot the way you want, change formation the way you want, just p- pretty much do whatever you want in that activation sequence? Is that something that, that either of you would more prefer? Or is that too little? I guess that's the question. So I don't know who wants to uh, who wants to be bold and take that. Yeah, I like a little. It's hard to put it like you want some sort of balance. I, I think most players want some sort of balance, or they say they do, right? Um, where you can't do everything because, like me and Stephen have played games years ago where one person went from one side of the table to the other side of the table based on like one good roll. Right. And that was like, would they have actually been able to do that? Like in the space of the time of this turn, they're crossing like a mile worth of field and now they're on my flank. Um, but at the same time, I know there are other games. Uh, one I know is having like a bit of a comeback. I know the Little Wars guys did a video on it. It was their Bastone. They did two games mm-hmm. and one was, uh, I think it's not File Fireball Fury, but it's, Fireball it's, it's, Forward. Yeah, it's not that one. It's it's another one they played, um, and I can't remember it right now. But the essence of the game is that you could continue moving until you find contact, right? Um, and then like the initiative switches to the other player. So I think like something like that is interesting, but it's also very limiting too, because you can only move within your your kind of lines of communication within your own cover until something happens, right? Um, Whereas like other games, you could just move up to the enemy and then it's like, what what's stopping someone from doing that? Yeah, it's almost like initiative moves. Like once you get really close, it's like, you know, command and control goes out the window when the shooting starts or the arrows start flying, you know? Yeah. Um, but like looking on the flip side of that, like you don't want something that's too restrictive where you kind of stay where you are than the other players, you know? So I think there there is balances that rules authors investigate and try um and some of them you know not to cop out some of them work better than others yeah depending on what sure. they're trying to do what do you think steve like again that that kings of war model that i described where it's basically like you're hitting on fours most of the time you you don't have to make leaderships to to move anything or to pivot or change formation or whatever you just sort of do it i mean you you are impacted by terrain but essentially there's no activation role what's your like first gut impression of that is that something you want to play is that well, too little uh, my answer is going to kind of come in two parts so i think the first part is a little bit of a curveball and what i would say is there are times when i am in the mood for either right so some nights there are games where i just want to be able to move all my troops and shoot with them all and and not have to think about the intricacies of command and then there are other times where i do want a richer experience. So I think there are times where both are appropriate or desirable. Um, I don't tend to be a player of games that have no command element whatsoever. I, I think I'm with Kelly where I do prefer a little bit of nuance. I prefer games that reflect that, that friction of command a little bit. But there are other ways to do that outside of a command role. Like we had talked about DBA the last time, right? DBA does that by rolling a D6, and that's how many activations you get for that turn. So within that very simple mechanic of, of pips is what they call it, right? Um, you roll a dice, and let's say you roll a four. That's how, that's the amount of activations you get for the turn. With, with a simple die roll, 
they have managed to game something that's very complex. So I don't know if a command role per se is always the best way to um, to reflect command. Uh, there's another game that um, this mutual friend of ours, his name is Tom, and I like to play uh, called Chosen Men. It's a Napoleonic skirmish game, uh, primarily in 28 millimeter, but you can play it in any scale where each unit has a number of tactical points that they can spend. And once those tactical points are expended, you're done activating that unit for the turn and commanders come in uh, to kind of buff them and allow them to do some things that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise and add special abilities. So there are other ways to do that outside of a command role, but that's a very long answer. Um, and I apologize for that. <laughs> there are never <laughs> long answers on this podcast, my friend ever. Um, the simple answer is, yeah, I do like, command to be reflected in at least some way I yeah the the one game that steven and i like a lot is uh, twilight of the soldier king and the way that works is you could give everything under your commander's or like um under your commander's uh purview like one order and then you have a limited number of like additional orders based off the commander's rating um which kind of adds like obviously, it, it's a, like a six mil game, and the distances are big, so you're not going to get everything you want to do. But based off of that, like you have to roll if you want to do a little extra more, like a little extra to it, which is, um, I think, hits like a historical nuance for mid 18th century um, play. Yeah, you know what's funny? Like again, because I, I try to play the the role of the moderator in these um, these kinds of conversations, right? It's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of things as you guys are talking. I, to me, what really kind of stands out with activation systems, I think what really can be the thing that takes a, any kind of mechanic, you know, from, okay, I, I, I failed something. Oh, that sucks. But you can kind of move on from it. Um, the mechanic that really messes with that is just the idea of your turn ending, right? Like, I mean, if if we had if you had a command system in which you're rolling for units and they get to move X amount of inches based on the command roll, I don't know how much people would complain, at least if you're moving. But it's that idea of like, I failed a roll, therefore I now have to sit on my ass and watch everybody else have fun, right? Which is really tricky. And and again, like I had Rick Priestley on. He was like literally the first guest on this podcast, you know? And um we did talk about this topic a ton. But look, you know. Hail Caesar is derived from um, uh, Warmaster, right? I mean, that's really where the system comes from. Warmaster was even more unforgiving um, compared to uh, compared to like you know Black Powder and, and and Hail Caesar and things like that. And I can remember back in the day playing my orc army with like leadership seven. <laughs> You know, and there were times like where and and by the way, Rick, if you're listening out there, no offense, I love the game, but like you know, there are times where if you have a bad day, like you're not moving anything, you're literally just sitting there. Look, and in the same sense, like one of my favorite systems, PK, um, which field of battle is derived from, which interestingly enough, I'm going to subject you to, um, the next time we play. Um, and Kelly, I know you've played it before, but look, it's the same kind of thing, like where that system came from. You know, PK is one of those things where you literally, if you get a bad run of cards, you literally could sit there for the entire game and not do anything. So it's like, you know, whatever kind of system you use, you, you have to figure out a way to prevent somebody from saying to themselves, I hate this game. 
like because of those command checks. Well, you're kind of pointing to a generational shift in mm-hmm. game rules as well. And I, again, I do not mean this as a slight to Rick Priestley. I mean, I, 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 I personally enjoy playing Black Powder and Hail Caesar. I think they're they're very simple systems, and and you're able to do a lot with them. So I'll just preface this by saying that. But like, if you look at rule sets from like the '80s and the '90s, I mean, there it's all black and white. There are no images in those rule books. It is just really small print text for like 60 pages and 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 it's like you're reading like it's like you're in a military staff school right and you're you're trying to um interpret these things and and now we've kind of gone to the other extreme where it's like you're playing a video game on the tabletop you know so there's got to be a middle ground and and i i think most of us would probably find ourselves in the middle i don't like like there we have another friend that loves simplicity and everything and and they will abstract every single aspect of a battle and i think that's too extreme for me because you would ask the question last time if we were doing this with blocks on a board and use the same rules and said instead of fighting a battle we're building skyscrapers or something would it make a difference for me it would i want to feel like if i'm doing a mid 18th century battle i want to get that flavor i don't like too many abstractions right where it's too simple and there's there you know and and there's just no flavor whatsoever so i think there has to be a middle ground yeah Absolutely. Um, you reminded me a little, Steve, um, of even stories that my dad would tell me from the 70s, like where they're playing like games like Column, Line, and Square from Napoleonics, where, again, I guess, I, I think you're right. I think back in the day, I think it was almost like complexity equals what it would be like to be a commander, right? So I remember my dad telling me that, you know, it would take a half hour to start a turn because they they would have rosters and they would literally have to write down every single order for every single unit. And once those orders were written, they would kind of carry them out simultaneously, you know? Yeah. It shouldn't take a half hour to get a unit from line into column. No, absolutely. (laughs) Right. No, I agree. And I guess here's another thing I'm thinking about. Right. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll pose this to you guys. I mean, it's a really broad question, but it's almost like, you know, when we are making those activation roles, what are they really representing? Cause look, if you think about it, I can understand in a lot, and and by the way, I teach this stuff, so it's like, believe me, like I I I don't necessarily feel like I'm talking out of my ass, but but hear me out. Command and control, right? I can understand if an activation role where you fail it and units don't move. I get that what that's trying to sort of show is that maybe that order top down, right? You know, maybe Napoleon's order doesn't get to his core commanders, or maybe the core commander couldn't get those orders to you know, divisional commanders or whatever. And that, you know, impacts the ability of units to move. But in a lot of cases, we're not even really making that role, right? In a lot of cases, what we're doing is rolling for individual units. And it's like, I don't know, like, I I, it, I think the idea of a commander being so cautious or whatever that it literally impacts his ability to, like, tell the thousand people in his, like, individual unit to move forward... I think not letting them move is a bit much. That's just my sort of my my sort of gut feeling. Again, I don't know what you think, Kelly. I don't know what you think about that. Like, is that 
accurate. I, I don't know. Well, then that calls into question who is the commander, the model that like you're in command of that's representing you, or are you the commander? Yeah, it's a great right? question. That comes up all the time, right? Like where what happens if you make a bad role before the game and like you have like a leadership of six and the idiot like on the other side, you know, but, of the table or no offense to people in game clubs, but it's like, I don't know, like they have a leadership 10 because of what they rolled and their troops all of a sudden perform better. I, I agree but, with you. It's a weird question. You but know? At, at the same time, you also have to factor in like um, the human relationship aspect of it, right? Like I, just the first thought that comes to my head, Gettysburg, right? Lee telling Longstreet to cross that big field at Pickett's Charge and and Longstreet's like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say that, right? But he holds back, right? Uh, for so there, there's a lot of so yeah. I guess like another aspect of it, it could be your role represents maybe, right? Maybe the model's re- relationship uh, with with others, or you, you read in historical texts all the time. Um, I think at the Battle of Kun in um, the seventeen Seven Years' War. Um, you know, one of the Prussian flanks, like some junior commander just decides to charge forward and the entire Prussian line like starts falling apart because one guy was just wanted to go, right? He's this inexperienced commander. He just wanted to charge at the Austrians, which kind of led to a very costly uh, battle for the Prussians. Um, so there's things like that where like I think in, in, in our war games only ever happens when you roll snake eyes and it's like, oh, okay, like you just right. failed miserably. Something bad's going to happen, which I don't think too many games really look at, um, at least the games that we play. I think only like Black Powder, I think, does something like that. Um, or, the you know, the Warlord games, which is kind of cool. Um, right. So, God, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a- a- everyone wants it to be like, hey, I'm the commander. This is exactly what I want you to do. But... You know, there needs to, yeah, it's not always going to be like that. It's not as clear cut. Well, the other thing, and by the way, I'm going to, Steve, I'm going to cue you in a sec because I know you haven't got a chance to weigh in on this, but really, really, really quickly. Um, I think it, it, a lot of this really matters on a, on a rules author, a rules writer being effective in terms of what the scale of the game is supposed to be and what the feel of the game is supposed to be, right? So, for example, you know, if you look at ESR Napoleonics, right, a game like that, you you're basically the army commander, right? Now, Kelly, I know you got a chance to play that game, but like, look, whether you like that game or not, right? The the what the authors intended the game to be is what the game is. It's essentially you are the army commander, and there's only X amount of control that you can sort of have over the battlefield, you know. Um, so it really, to me, it really depends on whether the author knows what they're going for, like in terms of the the scale of the game, you know. Steve, what's your take? Well, I mean, writing rules is hard. It is. <laughs> I, one one thing that annoys the hell out of me with, with war gamers is we all think we know better, right? Like you take a rule system and you've played one game with it and you're immediately changing it and making house rules and doing this and that. And it's not easy. I mean, I, I haven't really ever tried to write a rule system um, once or twice, maybe I dabbled with it and I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a game creator. I'm just not, I don't have that aptitude. Um, so I have a lot of respect for these guys. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and one of the things that we had said after our last game is there is no such thing as a perfect war game. I mean, when, when you take something real like warfare, and you you assign a game to that, right? 
a game is never going to completely reflect reality. A simulation won't really ever get quite to what reality is, right? So I think you have to temper your expectations a little bit when it comes to wargaming. I think you have to be a little more forgiving and allow for the fact that sometimes there are going to be things that annoy you. Um, but that's just part and parcel of, of what a game is, right? No, even computer gaming, <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there, there are issues with everything, right? So I think we have to temper our expectations a little bit. And I see Kelly smiling. Over there. <laughs> this is, this is not aimed. This is not targeted. at you. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. I'm just thinking like you put everything so eloquently while I'm talking around in circles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. Definitely not true. I think you've been exceedingly articulate, Kelly, in this in oh, this particular you. podcast. Well, look, I you know it's to me like as kind of the moderator of this, it, it the vibe that I'm getting out of this conversation is maybe that there's got to be a command system. There has to be something to reflect some degree of like the fog of war, or friction, or things like that. And you know what else? Too let me stop myself, right? Because I've been thinking about this point connected to this. You know, it's interesting. It's really movement that this always ends up being a conversation about. Because look, you know, our dice rolls in melee, you know, reflect a little bit of some of these intangible like factors that you know, can kind of come into play, right? Or, you know, in shooting, like you roll really well, you get that lucky shot, you know, and maybe if that happens a couple of times, I don't know, maybe somebody would complain about it, but it's really movement and and like getting the game going that people really have, you know, have most of the um, issue with. And, and I don't know about that. Like, guys, do, does, does, does that kind of resonate with you? Or would you say that like when you've been playing some games, like people complain just as much about needing a three to hit versus a four to hit compared with like, you know, activation roles. I don't know what your take is. I think there are people that will complain if the game doesn't go the way they want it to go. Yes. Um, and, but, but I think the key is enjoyability, right? right. To go back to the beginning of what Kelly had said earlier, right? I think if you can reasonably enjoy yourself, that doesn't mean things go your way all the time. But if you can reasonably enjoy yourself, then I think it's a good game. But yeah. there are players out there that, again, you know, look, we're playing with toys, right? And and in, in yeah. some ways, um, you know, the hobby kind of attracts some people who never really grew up. No, no, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. very right. And that makes this even more difficult, right? Because um, that can kind of get in the way of a person's ability to be objective. Look. We've all had those games before. I've had games where literally, I'm not kidding, but like literally the first roll of the game has been made and people are already talking about when lunch is going to happen because they lost three figures and the game is over. I, I mean, you're so, so yeah, that makes things really, really difficult, you know, like, because it can be very hard to be objective about a game when you're losing or when something doesn't go, you know, your way, you know. But by the way, I cut my myself off earlier with my musings it sounds like no command system at all where you kind of get to do whatever you want sometimes that could be a good thing like if you're out with your buddies or whatever you know and you're having a couple of beers or a drink or whatever you know um and you just want to have fun and roll some dice maybe that 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 is where it is but even then like it sounds like there's got to be some kind of system that dictates when things move, how far they go, whether something doesn't move. It sounds like there's got to be some kind of middle ground 
um, between those two ideas. That's what it sounds like to me. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I think it, it, it's what your group is interested in at the time and what they're looking for. So, I mean, I'm going to use Napoleonics as an example. Like, hey, guys, I'm in the mood to play Napoleonics. That opens up a door of different systems to approach that topic, right? Like, hey, I want to do a skirmish game in, in Iberia, or hey, I want to do a big set piece battle in Germany, right? There, there are different ways to go about that, and that all opens up the options of, okay, like you want to do a big set piece battle. Are we going to play Black Powder, or are we going to play Assange Resultat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how deep into this do you want to go? So, yeah, I think I think it comes down to kind of what you're in the mood for, what you're hungry for, you know, what's on the menu. (laughs) Yeah, because you can't play the same thing over and over. I mean, at least from my my point of view. um, I mean, and and again, like, I mean, I do have friends that, like, there's a certain go-to game that they have. And truth be told, like, like a game like the sword and the flame, which I don't know if you guys have ever played before for like colonial conflicts. Like that to me is a game I could probably play all the time. But even then, like you got to have a little bit of variety, you know? Um, Here's a question. And this will be my last content related question before we talk about what's going on and, you know, wrap it up. But um, I don't know, like, if you guys had to pick, and this is a tough one, like if we need to come back to this at some other point, we always can. I mean, is there is there a game in which the activation system, even with times where you can't move or something like that, is there an activation activation system you like the best? And I know that's a big one because I know that especially you guys, like the New Jersey crew, you guys play a lot of different games. Is there an activation system? And I can tell you mine if you guys want a second to think because I know it's a big question. I really like Field of Battle. So, um, you know, Brent Oman's Field of Battle system, which derived from PK, what I like about it is unless you get catastrophically unlucky, um, it's rare for your uh, turn to just end with you doing nothing. Even um, in the case of failing an activation roll, you always get at least one move. You can always move infantry six inches or cavalry 12 or whatever the the move rates are. Now, granted, that's going to have your army moving slow. So if you fail enough times, it might feel like, you know, you're, you're a little bit behind, but the bottom line is like, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, the only way, you know, to have your turn really, or commands turn come to an end is if when you're making your command roll, if you roll a one, if you roll one, whether it's your command rating is a D8 or a D10 or a D12, if you roll one, that's basically where nothing in the command moves. And it just doesn't happen that often. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, that, if I had to pick that, but also too, Steven, you brought up DBA earlier. I mean, it's a pretty genius activation system. So I mean, like that to me would, would give field the battle run for its money, you know? So what do you guys think? What, what jumps out to you as systems you really like? Um, I, I played field, but I love that system. It's really good. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to our game <laughs> this upcoming week. Um, but recently, uh, I've really enjoyed live free or die. Uh, and the way that system works is that, um, your commander has like a star rating. Um, so you're guaranteed like two or three moves, no matter what. And then you roll dice, uh, to see how many extra like moves you can get. So, um, I think it's like if he has like a five or I, I forget, I have to look over the book to make sure, but, uh, you roll the number of dice and if you get like a five or more, you get an extra, uh, um, 
command ability. And then within those points of uh, command ability that you have, you could then allocate them to your troops for them to do whatever it is you want them to do. And there's a table that shows like, hey, and it's very simple. How, how like, if you want to charge, that's two points. If you want to um, move forward, it's one point. If you want to switch, call, like, whatever. Um, so you can't, depending on the size of, like, your brigade or battalion or whatever, you can't do everything, but you can allocate it where you can do a lot if you want to. You won't, maybe you won't be doing, like, these monolithic charges um, but you can like at least move your troops up or maneuver them or have them push back or whatever, um, or c- attach commanders and have commanders do stuff, which I think is really innovative. You know, it's limiting. You can't do everything. So when you get stuck into it, you are stuck into it. Um, but it does allow for some strategic and tactical, uh, decision-making. Yeah, awesome. I have to agree with Kelly there. I like game and I, I love live free or die. It, it's four pages of rules and and yet it is the most accurate American Revolution war game I have ever played. No other game has really captured the feel of that conflict more than that game. And it's four pages. Um, yeah, I like rule systems where you can where you're guaranteed something. Right. So where and um, Kelly had mentioned uh, Twilight of Soldier Kings earlier, too, where you can do things that are pretty basic. But then if you want to do more complex maneuvers or if you want to push your troops that little extra bit harder, then you start running into some limitations and some some complications. So, um, yeah, I I do like that. you know, with the warlord system, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, and again, I say this as someone who plays those games a lot and, and actually does enjoy them. Um, because I think they're very adaptable and they're versatile, but, um, it is a little too punishing where you, you, you try to activate one division, you fail. Okay. That division's done activating. Now you go to this division, that division fails. And then you go to the, and, and, you know, you just go down the line that's not really happening. Even in a black powder or an ancient battle, the commander at the very least is able to have their line move forward, you know, and maybe some units might be left behind for whatever reason. But I mean, there are some basic things that commanders were just able to do. You and, know? And, yeah. and just to clarify, the player that had a hard time in this one particular <laughs> game that spawned this conversation <laughs> does indeed like Hail Caesar. He does like Hail Caesar. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I feel like we're we're stirring controversy. I mean, we'll we'll have to see who actually listens to this podcast. I'm like halfway Chris tempted. Leaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have a really mean email. <laughs> yeah, I'm halfway. We love Rick. Rick is yeah, we do. Rick is the man. I love that conversation with him. But um, yeah, we have to. It'll be interesting, you know, if this pops up on the min, on the miniatures page, which you know, I have friends that have said that that should be like one of our one of our like topics for the podcast. But because there are definitely some folks on there where it's like, oh, Kelly, like the fact that you you mentioned Longstreet at Gettysburg, that'll spawn like hundreds of messages where I guess like these dudes think they could go back in time. And like, <laughs> it's like, what is wrong with you people? You know, they just get so wild. I guess maybe maybe on some level I should compliment them because like the amount of energy they put into their posts and the kinds of crazy things they say to each other. I like, just want to see your podcast succeed. So, you know, whatever you need me to say. <laughs> right, right. No, it's true. It's true. Now, well, it dep- depends, depends, Kelly, on what, how you define success, you know. So, well, this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I think 
based on this conversation, it'll be interesting to see, like Steve, you in particular, like how you find the field of battle game. So I'm going to run a small one, really small, like 10 or 12 units aside, you know, at, at the at the next meeting. And in fact, for you listeners of the uh, pod out there, uh, maybe what we'll try to do is take some really nice photos of the, of the game. Um, and I don't know, maybe you could look at the photos as you're listening to this episode of the podcast whenever it ends up getting posted. So, so other than that, guys, thanks for coming on. I, I don't know if any final words, like uh, what's going on? How are, how, how are your lives? We Is do have a few minutes. <laughs> field of battle Napoleonic specific? No, you can really use it for anything between 1700 and really 1900, which okay. interestingly enough could be a whole nother topic because it's like black powder is the same way. Like, should one rule set be able to cover that much distance? That's definitely a topic that uh, we can we can broach at some point, you know, so because it's pretty fun. The, the reason I ask just so you ask what's going on, Kelly yeah. and I are shopping for a Napoleonic rule system. Oh, yeah. It's Which, like finding the Holy Grail. Yeah. That, this alone will get you all the hits. All right? Oh, yeah, this, this, for sure. It's literally the Holy Grail. Like, you got to get an Indiana Jones hat. We yeah. started with that, like Kelly had told his um, his creation story as a war gamer in yeah. our last podcast, right? And we started with Black Powder. Um, but since then, our 15 millimeter Napoleonics have kind of been on hold. Yeah. Because we just want to find a system that works for us. Yeah. Um, yep. Well, I mean, we can we can try this one out, you know, next week. We'll see what you guys think. Um, I like it a lot. I think that, too, like not to bore the audience because, I, you know, again, like this might not make sense unless you listen to the pod that I did with Brent Holman. But um, I think for me, like what I struggle with is the size of game. So, I mean, Kelly, when you played, I think we were using 30 or 40 units aside. We're only using 10 this time. Yeah. So I think that in terms of like the game moving, I think that will definitely, um, that will definitely help. So, so I don't know, Kelly, you have any final words? Yeah. Uh, I finished my big summer project was, which was, uh, painting my 28 mil, uh, Vikings from V and V, uh, or V and V miniatures highly awesome. recommend them um so they're done and now moving on to uh some world war ii projects with steven awesome that's very cool for me um i've been working on uh 20 mil mad max terrain which has been a lot of fun building terrain something i really enjoy but i committed the cardinal sin of wargaming um which um maybe we'll end on this and i don't know who knows maybe it could be a future topic the uh when you say you're not going to get into any new periods and then you get into a new period you know, and somebody offers you a deal. Oh, I got this great deal for you, but it just sucks you in. I, I'm starting some Essex 15 millimeter War of the Roses armies, which honestly is kind of a black hole for me. I don't know a massive amount about that period. So I've been doing a little bit of reading and, you know, should be good. So, you know, who I blame for that? My buddy Titch White, who I don't think either of you know, but he'll be on the podcast eventually, even I though as I blame him. It's really my fault because I kind of was like, hey, like, you know, you you have millions of miniatures in your basement. Like, you have any War of the Roses stuff? And of course, he's like, yeah, I'll make you a deal. So I really can't blame him. It's really my own fault, you know. And then, of course, like the subsequent order to Essex because clearly what he gave me was not enough, you know. So that's my I've life. I've given up saying that. I, <laughs> I, I've given up long ago saying I'm not. I'm done with new armies. I'm done with new periods. And, and right. 
would you even want to be done? I mean, this is true that we're, we're kind of signed up for, for life here, you know, this is true. Much, no, much, you're right. Much, you're to right. The, much to the chagrin of our, our significant others and spouses yes. and bank accounts. <laughs> yes. yes. But, you know, like, look, I mean, I, I, I like to paint, so I need fresh lead to paint. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, absolutely. And that is one of the fun things about the hobby is it kind of never ends, you know, depending on your personality, you know? So, all right, well, gents, just looking at the time, um, as always, it was a lot of fun. Um, so I will see you guys for our game, um, depending on when you're listening. You know, we're recording this at the very uh, very beginning of September. So we'll definitely take some photos and post them. And I'm sure that will build uh, excitement for our little friend cast pods that we've been doing. And by the way, if you're listening out there, um, I'm going to try to put out more of these, like where it's not necessarily an author coming on. Um, you know, the, these are really like the kinds of conversations that I would imagine many of you listeners out there kind of have when you're done with a game or you're getting ready for a game. And, and again, I know that we've been wargaming heavy recently, but, um, you know, at some point or another, we can start talking a little bit about, you know, some other systems and other genres of games, you know, but wargaming is something that at least in this group of three, um, is a big one. So, all right, Steve, Kelly, stay sane. Drink a lot of water, you know, in these crazy days. I appreciate you guys coming on. It's a pleasure. Indeed. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everybody. So for all of our listeners out there, thank you so much. You guys have a nice day. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore NextGen underscore Inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much. Thank you.